live here on SAFM this morning. It's 10 minutes after 8. It's time for the Forum at 8. And this morning we discussed the recent inaugural U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit that was held in Washington last week, uh, which had was met, I must say, with mixed reviews. Now, the summit hosted by President Barack Obama has been seen by some as a stepping stone in expanding trade relationships between Africa and the U.S. Others, however, view the summit as nothing to write home about and merely a ploy by the United States to play catch-up with China in engaging Africa in trade. On the Forum at 8 this morning, our question to you is, what has Africa gained from the recent U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit? And uh, we are joined in conversation this morning by Mr. Kuseni Dlamini, who is the chairman of MassMart, and he's also currently still in the U.S. Uh, attending, uh, he also attended the inaugural summit. Uh, Mr. Dlamini, thanks so much for speaking to us this morning. Thank you very much indeed for having me on your program, Sakina. Good morning and good morning to the SFM listeners. And we're also uh, trying to get hold of Mr. Gary van Staden. Uh, he's senior political analyst at NKC, independent economist, and uh, having some difficulty getting through to him. But as soon as he is available, we'll put him on uh, the radio for you. Now, uh, Mr. Dlamini, uh, let's just kick off and uh, you know start by looking at why, in fact, the U.S., when they extended this invite, didn't go via the AU and uh, as such extend the invitation to all of the African nation states, but invited individual nation states. Yeah, I think the U.S. wanted to be in control of who comes. If they went via the AU, they would not have had a chance to exclude some of the leaders that they ended up excluding, such as the president of as Zimbabwe as well as the president of Sudan and other leaders that uh, they're not comfortable with. I think in events like these, uh, the, the U.S. or the hosting nation uses that as well as, as an opportunity to send a message uh, about its foreign policy and about uh, its view on different countries. So it was also some kind of feedback to different African countries in terms of whether they are viewed as being in good standing with Washington or not. And that obviously has consequences. Those that were not viewed as being in good standing, they they were excluded. And uh, those that were viewed as being in good standing were actually included, which I think was a good sign. And the, the, the encouraging thing, Sakina, that we should all be proud of from an African perspective is that the majority of African countries now live under democratically elected governments which are viewed by most of the world as being very sound and based on the broad will of the people. That doesn't mean that democracies are perfect in Africa, but I think the the trend has been a positive one. It's been a trend towards the right direction. What does it say about African unity, though? Is this not uh, another attempt to divide and rule? Not at all. Not as far as I I see it. And I think the U.S. has moved uh, quite far ahead in terms of engaging with Africa as an equal and engaging with Africa from a position of uh, mutual respect, if I may say. And uh, I think African countries are also matured in their own right that they will not fall for divide and rule uh, tactics of this or that superpower. And I think what we saw in Washington last week 
was African countries being much more assertive, much more confident, much more focused, and really wanting to get on with the business of growing their economies, creating jobs, alleviating poverty, and creating an environment that are attractive, that are conducive, that are conducive to the attraction and retention of foreign direct investment, as well as also generating more local investment. And I'm just reading an article that you wrote last week, and I just want to quote from it. Uh, You said that the summit was an historic and significant moment, which was indicative of President Barack Obama's determination to reset the relationship between Africa and the U.S. from being paternalistic and transactional to being strategic and mutually beneficial, unquote. Now, what actually was uh, came about tangibly uh, to actually assert that uh, yeah that's a very good question sakina that you're raising if we remember in the past in the past whenever the u.s met with africa either an individual african countries or africa as a collective the the, the, the tone of the conversation would be like what can the u.s do for africa but in washington last week the conversation was what can the u.s do with africa some will go further and say, actually, it is moving towards a point where the U.S. would even ask, what can Africa do for the U.S.? Which really just shows that it's not about the historical legacy of thinking about poverty and humanitarian aid here and there, thinking about rapid responses here and there to sort out this or that conflict, but it's more now about trade, it's about investment, it's about business-to-business relationships, and indeed it is about two-way trade and investment, not even one-way trade and investment. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you'll be encouraged to know, or your listeners will be encouraged to actually know that Fasol is the single largest foreign direct investor in the United States because of its activities. So it's not just a question of American companies coming to invest in Africa, but it's also about African companies taking advantage of the U.S. economy and bringing in their technologies, which is what Sassel is doing. Sassel has technology that the U.S. doesn't have, and the U.S. has welcomed that. They have projects in Louisiana, and they're very much based on the superior world-class technology that we have in South Africa, which the U.S. hasn't got. Mm. And, of course, uh, some skeptics would say more promises, more platitudes, but in the end, nothing will change. Well, but the thing is, the numbers speak for themselves. Uh, the, the billions of US dollars in investments, which were not just committed, but you, you could see, you could put a face and the name of a CEO behind projects that uh, were announced. and that would Haven't be they always had that? Uh, well, I think now the scale and the value uh, is really changing, and the nature of the investment is, is changing. There's always been engagement, you're right, but I think it's the substance of the engagement that is changing, and it's also the nature of the partnerships that, that are also changing. And, of course, we are speaking to uh, Mr. Kuseni Dlamini. He's the chairman of MassMart. And we're talking about uh, the U.S.-Africa uh, Leaders Summit that took place in Washington, D.C. last week. And the question we are asking on the Forum at 8 this morning is, what has Africa gained from this recent summit? And we'd love to hear your views on that. 891 That's the number you can call in on. You can also SMS us on 34701. Tweet or Facebook at AM Live on 
on SAFM or at Sakina Kamwendo. And I must just apologize. We uh, are still trying to get hold of Mr. Gary van Staden, uh, who is from NKC Independent Economist. He's supposed to uh, speak to us as well this morning. But unfortunately, we're having difficulty connecting with him. Um, in the meantime, though, we are in conversation with Mr. Kuseni Dlamini talking about uh, this historic summit. And as I said, we welcome your views. Now, Mr. Lamini, also just looking at AGOA and uh, South Africa, there was talk that South Africa had now reached a point where they needed to graduate out of the AGOA program. But then uh, South Africa, of course, feeling differently about this. Oh, absolutely. It's, it would be very difficult to isolate South Africa from the rest of Africa when it comes to AGOA. Uh, South Africa is only one of three main beneficiaries from AGOA. The other two are Angola and Nigeria. And listeners will be aware that Angola and Nigeria are actually largely oil-intensive economies. And they, it's largely the, the oil that they, they trade with the U.S. And in fact, South Africa is the only diversified economy that has benefited immensely. And the crucial thing about having South Africa as part of IGOA is that its economy is inextricably intertwined with the rest of SADAC and the rest of sub-Saharan Africa by... He's saying that it should be excluded or it should graduate, as, uh, as, as it were. That basically means that the benefits that the other countries enjoy by being uh, very much uh, coupled uh, with the South African economy may also decline. So it's, it's absolutely important and imperative strategically that uh, South Africa is included, and I hope that when AGOA is extended in September next year, by Congress, as indeed I hope they will, and indeed they must, uh, South Africa will be part of it. It would be unfortunate to exclude South Africa. And I was very impressed that uh, our president put a very strong case uh, for that, as, as, as did and, uh, Robert, uh, our Minister of Trade and Industry, uh, the Honorable Rob Davis, has also argued a very strong case, uh, as well as other cabinet members. So it's something that is very important, not just from a South African perspective, do I say, but also from a broader Sadat perspective and a much broader sub-Saharan African perspective. And I guess the uh, AGOA uh, process gives us the perfect opportunity to actually do some form of evaluation. How has Africa actually benefited from AGOA? Very immensely, uh, Sakina, if I may say. Uh, we look at South African exports to the United States. I think 95% of our exports to the U.S. are actually covered by AGOA. Therein lies in the, the, the benefits. And all those, those exports actually support jobs back home. They underpin economic growth. They, they assist with foreign uh, uh, currency inflows, uh, foreign exchange inflows into the country. You look at a country like Lesotho, uh, it's benefited uh, immensely from Agoa as well. Small as it is, you've had lots of textile manufacturers who have located in that country for the main reason uh, that if they produce they, they produce or manufacture their goods in that country, they'll have access to, to the U.S. market. Uh, I, I think AGOA is an important underpin of a new relationship between the U.S. and Africa, which is based not on, on aid uh, 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 and uh, short-term things, but more based on trade and investment. I think uh, President Obama would have left an important legacy going forward if he manages, as I think he will, to convince Congress to extend AGOA.
And of course, at the moment, we can't talk about trade on the African continent without talking about China. And uh, to what extent was China and the Chinese influence and expansion on the continent influential in this particular summit? Yeah, I know that there's a school of thought that suggests that this was an uh, an attempt to catch up with China. Uh, you know, I understand why people are saying that, but if one looks at the numbers again, China is largely pursuing uh, resource-related type opportunities. I'm not saying that's the only thing China is doing in Africa, but largely their focus is to get access to Africa's mineral resources so that they can underpin their industrialization and modernization processes back home. The, the driver from the U.S. perspective is not necessarily resources, and this is, I remember, Sakina, that the U.S. now is actually almost on the verge of being energy secure, and in the short to medium term, it will become a net exporter of energy as a result of the boom in shale gas in North America here in the USA, and there you've got leading technologies. So their drive is really to look at long-term uh, investments in in the consumer space, in in looking at financial services, looking at ICT and looking at other industries that are more diverse than just resources. So I think we cannot overrule the fact that there is global competition for access to opportunities, and that may be a driver, but I would like to argue that while both China and the U.S. are interested in Africa, the drivers are slightly different, and the priorities and focus areas are slightly different as are the areas of emphasis. Our guest this morning, uh, Chairman of MassMart, Mr. Kuseni Dlamini. He uh, was, of course, also part of uh, the delegation that attended the U.S.-Africa Summit, an inaugural summit that took place in Washington, D.C. last week. And this morning we are asking you, what has Africa gained from that recent uh, U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit? 891 that's the number to dial. And let's get to the lines. Faisal, you're calling from Durban. Good morning. Good morning, Sakina. Uh, Sakina, first, uh, they told us that they were summoned to the U.S., which I was very disappointed. We look like beggars when the U.S. summons you and they want to do business with you. Uh, and the other thing is now that we're here, they've left our neighbors out. So have they, have they planted a seed like they've done in the Middle East? Thank you, Sakina. Thank you, Faisal. And uh, Bruce Uren Randberg, good morning. Yeah, morning. Look, this is an extremely important summit. Um, everything your guests are saying, I, I agree with. America is the strongest economy in the world, and it does have major influence. You asked a question. You said, what does Africa get from these type of investments? And, you know, the answer to that is kind of obvious. American companies would invest. They would hire people. They would supply training to those people, and then they would pay taxes. That's all you can, you can really ever ask on this type of exchange. And then finally, um, it's, it is correct that certain countries weren't invited, because the whole concept of trade is not mandatory. If a particular country doesn't adhere to human rights or effectively is a dictatorship, why should any country in the world feel the need to trade with it? And the Chinese are exactly the same. They put pressure on the South Africans on the Dalai Lama, so basically you can get a visa. So this kind of political influence because of an ideological objective is common when it comes to these big powers. Nothing unusual about that.
Thank you. Thank you so much, Bruce. And uh, let's just look at some of the uh, Twitter messages coming through. Um, Motobi Posa says, It's strange Obama summoned the whole continent to a country. He should have invited different regional bodies instead. However, well, the U.S. rules. And uh, this one from Andile Mlondo says, uh, They are looting our minerals and taking our profits to their countries through transfer pricing and base erosion. And uh, Michali says, We must be careful uh, not to offend thieves investors who invest in our own in in own interests are those who must be careful not to offend but i think what is coming through is a skepticism um Kuseli, that in fact the americans were playing the power card in inviting choosing who they are going to invite and i think you have answered that to an extent and also um then choosing exactly what the terms are going to be so are we really equal partners in this whole scenario uh, I, I think the u.s is the largest economy in the world is the biggest game in town in terms of trade and investment and for africa they have the opportunity to engage in the in the way that uh, it did last week in washington i think that was a moment of glory for africa and that was something that most countries and most um, developing continents would want maybe you need to, to explain to us uh, um, mr damini how was that different from the way things had been done uh, up until that point how was it different well, up, up until last week, and historically, the, the relationship used to be shaped, Sakina, as we know, by the east-west divide of the post-Cold War era, where the world was divided into ideological spheres of influence, and most countries in Africa were either on the side of the then Soviet Union, which is now represented by Russia, uh, which is not really the Soviet Union as it was, and the other countries were aligned with the U.S. And uh, basically at the time, it didn't matter what African countries wanted. Uh, it was all about aid. It was all about dishing out uh, resources, a few dollars here and there to buy influence. And basically that was the kind of relationship which was paternalistic, which was not strategic. And I, I think what we saw last week is a desire to reset the relationship, to make it much more strategic, to make it much more mutually beneficial, to make it grounded more on mutual respect. What was happening in Washington last week, for those that were there, it's really contrary to some of the things that uh, some of the cynical uh, listeners, as people like Faisal are saying, you're saying that we're like beggars and someone, it was not like that. African leaders were treated, were given red carpet treatment. They brought the whole of Washington D.C. to a standstill. And if you read American papers, just all positive stories about Africa rising and Africa being the next giant that is waking up for, for the world to see and engage with uh, uh, differently. Uh, I think it was a great, great moment indeed. And uh, to be cynical really doesn't help because if we really look at the numbers, it's only just 1% of U.S. trade is done with Africa. And the trade, that compares to just the trade that the U.S. does with one country, Brazil. The whole of Africa mm. has the same extent of trade uh, with, uh, the, with a country like Brazil, with the U.S. So they, they, there are many opportunities for improvement. We need jobs. We need, we need uh, to alleviate poverty. We need foreign exchange. And we need the Wall Street giants to come and invest in our continent instead of going to Asia, instead of going to Latin America. We need to modernize our
our economies. And you cannot really do that without engaging with the largest economy in the world. And it is very encouraging that the U.S. is a willing partner that, need, that wants to engage with Africa differently. Mr. Lamini, 15 billion rand in new private sector investment expected to come from that U.S.-Africa summit. The World Bank has committed 5 billion in direct financing. And the minute you say the World Bank, people are like, oh, okay, here we go back, right back to where we started. But I'm going to, uh, you know, leave you to mull over that because we unfortunately have to go to news. Uh, so we're going to take a break. We're going to go to news and, um, and we'll come back to you after that. And when I say unfortunate, it's not because you hear V, uh, v but it's just uh, the moment in the conversation. That is the unfortunate bit. 8.30, time for news headlines with Vibachli Chetty. 27 minutes before 9, you're listening uh, to AM Live and it's the forum now. And this morning we're asking you, what has Africa gained from the recent US-Africa Leaders Summit? But before we get back to the conversation, let's find out what's coming up on Morning Talk with Rowena Bird. Good morning, Rowena. It is 24 minutes before nine right now, and we're talking about uh, the Africa-U.S. Leaders Summit, and I deliberately uh, termed it that way, so as to put Africa before the U.S. A does come before you in the alphabet, I think. And uh, last week, of course, President Barack Obama actually hosted African leaders in the inaugural U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit, and this morning we are asking you, what has Africa gained from the recent U.S. Leaders Summit? Now, we are speaking to Mr. Seni Dlamini, who was at the summit, and he is also the chairman of MassMart. And uh, just before the break there, Mr. Dlamini, I asked you a question about uh, the World uh, the World Bank and, of course, the uh, pledge that they make, the, the guarantee that they gave there, and how this actually just goes to reinforce some people's skepticism about the fact that nothing has changed. Well, what has changed is that now more money is coming from foreign direct investment from corporates, private sector players, than it is coming from development, uh, multilateral development institutions such as the World Bank. Uh, I think what is encouraging now, you are seeing it, uh, you are seeing a trend where American companies, American boards of directors are allocating more capital to be invested in Africa. I think that's a very, very good change. And you mentioned the figures. There was an announcement of investments worth uh, 14 billion U.S. dollars, which is close to over uh, 140 billion um, rent uh, in rent terms, and that uh, that's really a good sign. And we are also seeing companies themselves saying it is in our strategic commercial interest to invest in Africa. We are also hearing in Washington it's not a question of Africa being a humanitarian case, but the tone from even the White House it is that it is in the national interest of the U.S to engage with Africa, to invest in Africa, to trade more with Africa. Uh, the U.S. is benefiting to the tune of 250,000 jobs, which are supported by exports to Africa by U.S. companies. And that is something that is uh, not uh, taken lightly by the U.S. authorities. And they see it as very much part of the day-to-day prosperity of of the U.S. to be able to strengthen and deepen investment and trade ties with the continent.
Let me read some tweets before I go back to the lines. Um, Isaac Shwe says, This summit had nothing to do with Africa benefiting. It's a trade war between China and the U.S., and Africa is just a battlefield. Tebza Mashiko echoes that sentiment, saying, I think the summit was just an attempt from the U.S. to resuscitate their trade in Africa, since China is now making wave. Um, Sekhopoche says, I wonder where does investment money go, because Africa remains underdeveloped. Uh, poverty and unemployment is still rife. And uh, then we have this one here from uh, Jamangile who says Mr. Kuseli Dlamini is being misled. The U.S. is far from being a net exporter of energy. Uh, perhaps he should investigate further on shale gas figures. Um, MJ Opperman says this whole summit just sounds like an exercise in spinning tables from both sides. And Wonder Jim says loans given to African countries uh, to two African countries to fight rebels or disease. IMF, World Bank, win either way, they are ripping us off. And then uh, Tabedi says investors pays 12% uh, of total tax, employees 22%. All that money, $27 billion, is never accounted for. Development continues to be hampered. And uh, this one from Sandy Lehoane says, Americans don't do win-win, and they never will do win-win. What they do is take, take, take. So those some of the uh, tweets coming through and another one here um, which I also just uh, want to draw on but I'll, I'll come back to that one because uh, the lines are buzzing and I'll give you an opportunity to respond once we've gone through a few of these calls uh, Mr. Dlamini 0891 that's the number to dial but let's hear from uh, the listeners who have been holding uh, Chris in Johannesburg, good morning Good morning, Sakina. Uh, it's very saddening to hear the negativity from Africans uh, who are, in a way, are asking why Africa. And I would rather we say, why not Africa? Because most of those who say why Africa are blinded by the Africa image which is written by poverty, disease, and deprivation. However, the United the U.S. realized the growth potential and the business po- business partnership potential of Africa. And that is where we really need to begin. And I think there's a challenge that we need to begin to educate each other that among that disease, there's a very positive stories about Africa which are emerging. And unfortunately, it has taken foreign nationals and foreign countries to realize that Africa is at, a, is at another level. And lastly, I was very impressed with the tone that was set by the African leaders. In the first instance, they, spoke, they all spoke for Africa. They mentioned and put Africa first, and, 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 and that, to me, began to show that Africa is uniting and repositioning itself in the world stage. And that really should reaffirm. And we need to begin a, a second lesson now to educate each other that we are growing. We are no longer the Africa of 50 years ago. We all need to contribute and move forward. Thank you very much. But, but hold on, Chris. What makes you think that people don't realize that? I mean, you only have to look around you to know that Africa is growing, that Africa is not where it was 50 years ago. But you, some of the SMSs you were, you were reading now. But, but uh, isn't it a matter people... of skepticism questioning what is going on, uh, given that, you know, um, I think what people are asking for is to see tangible, tangible um, uh, uh, solutions, tangible results Tan- from this. Yes, but tangible at what level? At an individual level or at a broader com- uh, continental community level? Is that, that becomes a problem. Would you say it's if unrealistic? Judge, I, I, my, my view, my problem is we begin to value, if we begin to value a difference as lo- only and as long as 
it affects me as a person. The fact that there is water provision, 90% of children go to school in South Africa, we don't see that as a positive change. For, for as long as me and my kids cannot go to a white school, we don't see that there is something going on in South Africa. And I think that's the mindset that you need to change. However, but even, what, lastly, the, the, even that, that, that skepticism is, is informed by the fact that Africa is hopeless. Mm, okay. Okay. That's uh, Chris yes. calling us from uh, Joburg. And uh, let's hear from Abdul in Port Elizabeth. Good morning. Good morning, Sakina. How are you? Well, and you? Um, well, thanks. Um, you know, firstly, uh, there's nothing wrong and there's nothing bad in, you know, African countries uh, trying to do business with the outside world. Uh, but let me start by saying, just like one, what one of your callers actually said earlier on, I mean, there is no way that you can sideline some countries and then you choose to take certain countries, you understand, on board. Um, where is the African neighbors, really? And, I mean, we've got a body here known as the African Union. How on earth would you then leave such a body and then decide to handpick certain countries? Again, I'm disappointed in the African countries, really. I mean, for honoring that, you know, that invitation. In the fourth place, there are quite a lot of countries in Africa. In order for you to be able, you understand, to have a decisive uh, a, a quorum on what you're trying to achieve with African countries, you need to bring everybody to the table. For African countries to go to, you know, to this summit and, uh, you know, pretend as if everything is rosy in Africa, it's not the case. I mean, our leaders, are, you know, they're trying to preach this African renaissance. And they then found some leaders. I mean, uh, they, they think that, I mean, the electorate or people that put them in those positions, that they are fools. No, I think they are mistaken, really. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, if one African country is okay, definitely the second or the next African country would also be fine. That is when we have that understanding among ourselves that charity begins at home. Let us sit down together as African countries. Let us look deep into where we are coming from and where our problems are. But For isn't... some of the African countries to be out there suffering and lacking behind. And there are some few African countries that we feel are better. Uh, well, you know what, we just, we, we, we really embarrassing ourselves out there. Okay, on that score where you say where we think few African countries are better than others, doesn't this also then give us an opportunity as African countries, now that this has been highlighted through a summit like this, to actually sit and introspect and try to fix what is wrong with Africa? Because I think we would agree that there are things that are wrong with Africa. Believe you me, Sakina, and that is what I'm trying to say here, that at the end of the day, our leaders need to sit down together and put heads together. We're looking up to them. We're putting them in those positions there. They've got to prove to us that they've got what it takes to lead us as Africa. And believe you me, Africa is not poor. Okay. Africa is not poor. You need to really prove to the world out there that you've got what it takes for you to be on the, you know, on the global map. I mean, you, can, you, you cannot just be puppet of, 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 of first world countries. I mean, summoning you to meetings and then you, you all just judge yourself. Meanwhile, there are some of your African brothers that are left behind. What are you saying about that? Okay, got you there, Abdul. But what should happen in the meantime? Should the countries that are seen as favorable investment destinations on the continent then sit back and say, well, uh, we will also not engage uh, because some of the other countries have not been invited? Is that what we expect them to do? Charles in Cape Town, good morning. 
guys are kidding us. Kidding on your guess. Amazon. My my comment is, you know, it's like a revolving door. Africa pumps money in, but they can't please So Africa gets the crumbs, and they, they, the money goes back to the states. And my other point was Domini. I do want you to find out why would a national representing a major um, company from America, a company that the, the, the president's um, you know economic group, and now there's a big furrow about the Gupta's businesses that's got contacts in the country. You know, like like India now and and, and America, they will advise the the, the government and delegation how to deal with the, the, the American um, or, or the, the Indian, you know, economic, um, you know, local uh, what you call it companies. Thanks. Okay, that's Charles in Cape Town. Uh, let's speak to Desmond in Amanzimtoti. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Good morning, uh, Sakina. Uh, actually, I know that people must criticize. But the fact remains that uh, America has been all along been important to us. I know that about HIV, it has helped us a great deal. What we need to do now is to, I'm speaking metaphorically, is we should plow the land and wait for the rain. The rain is in the side of investments. So let us, because help will come. So... To, to, to sit around and talk, the main thing is to prepare for, for investment because it happened uh, in, the 80, in the 18th year that uh, we did receive help from America when they brought in a sugar milling. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, a okay. sugar mill here. So all that actually benefited us. People changed the, the landscape of Adam's mission. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Desmond. Bashir in Indonesia. Hello, Sakina. Look, you know, Africa is an amazing continent, amazing people, amazing resources. The, what we lack is really leadership. And yes, we do need to take uh, cognizance of uh, America, but it can't be a kind of master-slave relationship. And I'm listening to your guest in, in the studio, and, you know, I get this impression that he is doing cartwheels, uh, you know, thanking God that America has somehow taken note now of Africa, you know, <laughs> and uh, that, that is very disturbing. He's saying that, uh, you know, um, America should not uh, sort of deal with Latin America, rather with Africa. The, you know, uh, America has been dealing with Latin America, and they have caused so much problems in Latin America, you know, mass murder, uh, installing di- dictators and so forth, that the uh, Latin Americans are glad that, uh, you know, they are actually pushing America away. Uh, you know, so we need to take cognizance of that. Uh, he's talking about America is now independent of energy resources. He's talking about shale gas. Does he realize that shale gas uses fresh or poisons fresh water resources? It's an, uh, uh, it's an untested resource. Uh, people have been complaining about now earthquakes for the first time in Texas where uh, shale gas is being, uh, you know, drilled for. So, you know, uh, shale gas uh, is an untested resource. Um, you know, uh, America wants to establish uh, military bases in Africa. Uh, you know, it's it mm-hmm. the biggest arms dealer in Africa. So, uh, you know, we need to be equal partners uh, in, in the process. We need to look out for Africa. I don't see our leaders doing that. I, I, you know, okay. we seem to be having a kind of a master-slave relationship, and that is disturbing. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Bashir. Uh, Bezi in Mpumalanga, good morning. Yes, good morning, ma'am, and your guest. Welcome. Yes, my, my humble submission to, uh, to this discussion is that... Uh, this, this uh, summit is a welcome development. 
uh, despite the fact that there is skepticism, uh, skepticism uh, from the African people as expressed by some of the leaders. And this skepticism is understandable, uh, taking into cognizance the history of, of, of American colonialism in Africa. But very importantly, Sakina, uh, it is incumbent upon the African leaders to ensure that they take terms uh, in such uh, summits, t- uh, uh, terms uh, with regard to uh, uh, developmental pro- uh, programs and, uh, 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 and projects. Mm. I- I'm trying to say these summits should not only be, be talk shops and talk shows, but they should, uh, as you have correctly alluded, produce tangible outcomes for the African people in general. Thank you so much, Bezi. And of course, we'll get Kusedi Lamini to respond to that and we'll read some of the other messages trickling in. Thanks for tuning in this morning. And our question is, what has Africa gained from the recent U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit? That's what we're discussing on the forum at 8 this morning. And we're speaking to Mr. Kuseni Lamini, who is the chairman of MassMart. He, of course, attended uh, the recent uh, inaugural U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit. And uh, I said it earlier, Mr. Gary van Staden, who is a political analyst at NKC Independent Economist, he was supposed to join us. Unfortunately, he couldn't. And I hope that answers your question, Maswabi in Dobsonville. And uh, then also uh, reading some of the other SMSs coming through, your guest must declare his relationship with Walmart. Uh, He's speaking for his bosses. Another one says Africa is used to pledges. They are not investments. And then uh, this one from Chris Murphy says, um, is the recent USA-Africa summit not a belated attempt by the U.S. to gain a foothold on the continent after China's massive incursions? Spiwa and KZN says, in fact, People who have been done a favor for being invited uh, to the U.S. are many African tyrants and uh, ochlocrats who are discredited in their own nations. And um, finally, this one here says Africa receives billions of dollars in aid relief from the USA. African leaders always criticize Americans like Mugabe. But when they are in trouble, who do they call the very same United States? Uh, Mr. Dlamini? Thank you very much, Sakina. It's, it's a lot that has been said. I mean, I just want to, to pick on the one that um, touched on MassMart and Walmart, just to say that, in fact, MassMart is a living example of U.S. Com- US private sector commitment to Africa. Three years ago, Walmart uh, came around Africa looking for opportunities to invest, and they chose MassMart, and they invested into MassMart not just to grow and expand the business in, in, in South Africa, which is a strategic imperative that we are driving, but also to expand uh, and grow the footprint across the African continent. We are investing across the length and breadth of Africa. We're seeing opportunities, and we're very bullish about the future of the continent. And what we have done very well in South Africa is really build relationship with grassroots suppliers to our supplier development fund, and we are looking at uh, scaling that up and uh, building on that and getting more South African suppliers who can supply into MassMart, but not just into MassMart, but into the global Walmart organization. Therein lies the benefit in terms of U.S. investment uh, in Africa. And also we are investing in skills development and employing locals across all the markets where we operate. And we are also developing talent in South Africa. So again, I think the tone in Washington last week was about U.S. companies investing 
in Africa, not just bringing Americans to work, but also partnering with Africans in those investments and also making sure that Africans are developed to be able to run those companies. So there is a lot really that is a stake for Africa to benefit from in terms of deepening and extending relationships with the United States. And it's up to us in Africa to really make sure that we step up to the plate and we are ready to maximize the benefit out of these relationships. Countries are not driven by friendships and um, loving this or that country. They're driven by national interests. There's no doubt that the U.S. has its own national economic interests that drive its uh, engagement with Africa. And Africa has got to be driven uh, unashamedly by its own national economic interests as well. We need to put those interests uh, on top of the agenda and make sure that it shapes, those interests shape the way in which we engage and relate with the United States, not just the U.S., but with the EU, with Japan, with China, and with other parts of the world as well. Let me just read a few more uh, tweets and SMSs just to round this off. Uh, starting with Facebook messages, in fact, uh, Dejo Olowu says, Much ado about nothing, the usual photo ops and empty rhetoric. Uh, Mervyn uh, Macalina says, For the conceited elite, just another investment portfolio to add to their list. Uh, July Trevor uh, says, African leaders never learn anything good. We have a continent which has a rich mineral resources, but unfortunately we have idiots for leaders. And uh, Masenia on uh, Twitter says, I have never heard uh, the mentioning of processes of minerals into finished goods in the uh, uh, Goa talks. It's about export and more export. And Lerato says, African states should not have attended that summit without other African states. Divide and rule. And that was the aim. And that is what they got. So we are going to leave it there for this morning. Uh, Mr. Kuseni Dlamini, thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank you very much indeed, Sakina. And um, I guess you will make up your own mind ultimately as to what it is that you think Africa actually gained from that U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit. Some people skeptical about uh, exactly what Africa will gain. And someone asked the question earlier about, um, you know, whether we expect to see individuals benefit. Well, yes, I would like to think so. At some level, the individual has to benefit. It cannot just be companies and a few select elite. The individual South African, the individual Nigerian, the individual African on the street has to reap the benefit of this somehow. So the answer to that question, what does Africa gain from the recent U.S. uh, Leadership Summit, remains to be seen. In the meantime you can unpack and actually chew on all of what actually came out of it. And with that, uh, I think uh, today we are going to uh, mention our producers, credit them for making sure it went out loud and clear. Nzwaki Ku, Miriam Wate, Misho Shandale, Jake Mukoma and Sisanda Jonas, senior producers Chilizi Chivase and Lungile Mabaso, our foreign producers this morning, Ronald Piri, technical producer uh, Judy Mutupi and Bongiwe Thomas, also to our specialist producer Lukoto and executive producer Aubrey Sechia. Thank you so much for making sure it all came together and went out loud and clear. Back with you tomorrow. It is 9 o'clock and time for the latest news with Vabakshni Chetty.